After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Hebrew called Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay a multiple of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been lying there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled, and while I'm going another, uh, going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, The man who healed me said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews persecuted Jesus, because he did this on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working still, and I am working. This is why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he, is not, he not only broke the Sabbath, but also called God his father, making himself equal with God. Good morning. Hey, that was nice. Um, for those of you that I don't know, uh, I'd like to offer just a quick introduction. Um, my name is Jason. Uh, I've been uh, here at Calvary for a few years now, I suppose. Um, my wife, her name is Kelly. Uh, she is currently with the children in Sunday school. Uh, we help out with that typically during the first service. So it's entirely possible that if you come to the first service and then leave, we don't really cross paths because uh, my wife and I are usually in there with the kiddos, um, and then we come in second service and sit somewhere right kind of back there typically. Um, we have uh, six kids. Uh, we have Wyatt and Callie and Sadie and Watson and Elsie and Wilson. So we lead what many people consider an active lifestyle. Uh, and uh, we uh, just really love Calvary, uh, really love this church, really love a, a Bible-believing church. Um, and uh, are just very glad to, uh, to be here. So uh, I was asked uh, to step in uh, this morning since uh, Pastor Dave is out visiting his mom, or down, I guess, visiting his mom in Kentucky. Um, I was actually not the first person he asked. He originally had a little Shetland pony lined up, but the Shetland pony was unable to do it today because he's a little horse. Okay, there it was. It's kind of one of those hand grenade jokes. You kind of throw it and then wait five seconds for it to go off, so... Um, so I, I know that we just, we just read through the text, and uh, I, I don't at all mean to, to insinuate that, uh, that it wasn't read perfectly well and, and wonderfully, but I'd like to actually start and, and actually run through the text again as well. Um, I think sometimes uh, things uh, can jump out at us, uh, particularly when there's some repetition, right? You go through it once, and you kind of think you understood what the story was about, but then you go through again, and you look again, and there were maybe some other things that jump out. And then we'll get to the actual sermon part, uh, and maybe we can pull out some other uh, nuggets of wisdom to take with us as well. So starting in chapter 5, on verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem 
for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Yours may say porches or porticos, something like that. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I'm going to take a quick time out. Calvary, let's please not be Pharisees. Can we please, as a church body, as a body of Christ, not be Pharisees? Here's a man who has not walked in 38 years, and now he's up walking around. He's got his mat under his arm. And Pharisees, rather than saying, hey, praise God, you're healed. You couldn't walk, and now you can. The Pharisees say, you can't carry that mat. It's the Sabbath. So just a quick aside that really kind of irritates me, and I hope it does you too. Please, Calvary. Let's, let's not be Pharisees. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, the, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, well, who's this fellow that told you to pick it up and to walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, again, let's not be Pharisees, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, I asked my wife uh, sometime earlier this week, I said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the message on Sunday. Do you think it's okay if I just kind of talk for a little bit? And then in the, in the bulletin, in the, the order of worship there, uh, could we just have a blank page for notes and people can jot down things that they think? Uh, and my wife said, well, no, no, it, it's not a sermon if you don't have some little blanks to fill in along the way. Um, and so I provided some of those things. And so if you've got a pen or a pencil, you're welcome to, we'll get to those things in a minute. You can fill in your blanks. I think in my wife's mind, uh, even Jesus with his Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> you know, I think the Beatitudes were a bunch of blanks. You know, blessed are the blank, for they shall blank. And blessed are these people, for they shall that. And so he expected everybody to go through and, and jot in all of those as we go. So, so we'll certainly get to those um, in just, uh, just one moment. So let's start with just a little bit of background to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, we just finished up chapter 4. Remember in chapter 4, uh, that ended uh, with the healing of the officer's son, the official son. He was in Capernaum, uh, the son was, uh, but Jesus was actually quite a distance away. Jesus was in Cana at the time, a different town altogether. So it would be like Jesus being here in Fargo, uh, and he heals somebody who's uh, down in Horus, uh, not even in the same, same area, same spot, uh, but uh, healed somebody uh, who was far away. 
So then we start in on verse 5, uh, and it tells us that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. They were not told which one. Quite frankly, I don't know that it matters. Just Jesus went uh, and was there in Jerusalem. There was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. You know, there's a lot of hospitals in the United States called Bethesda. In fact, Bethesda, Maryland, uh, that's where I believe our naval hospital is, uh, a big hospital system. I think a lot of people use the word Bethesda or use that name because translated it means house of mercy. And so I think that that says a lot to us uh, that the pool there was called house of mercy. So um, let's see, Bethesda surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, if you look carefully in your Bibles, you'll notice a lot of your verses go one, two, three, and then they jump down to, uh, to five. Um, and it looks like you're missing a verse four. I don't know if that's, that's your particular translation you see that. Some of you then, down at the bottom, maybe at the end of that chapter, bottom of that page, it has a little section that's inserted. It has a little footnote about verse four. Verse 4 says, um, uh, when you say Bethesda, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, then some of your versions say, and they waited for the moving of the waters. Now, the verse 4 that's, quote, missing says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, the reason that that's a footnote in many of your uh, versions, uh, when uh, the Bible was originally translated, the King James Version originally translated into English, um, that, was, that was in there, that verse 4 about the angel stirring the waters and people running down to get into the water to be healed, and the first one in would be healed. That was actually that little, that little information was added later uh, by a scribe. Uh, odds are, um, the scribe was, was translating, was transposing, was copying, whatever, um, and realized that it would seem kind of confusing that people just lay around a pool all day um, if they can't walk or they can't see or, or they have some sort of sickness or disease. Uh, that would seem kind of odd that they would all be lounging about at a pool. Well, the conventional wisdom at the time, whether it truly was an angel or it was just a, a stirring of the water from an underground spring or a bubble up, whatever, uh, the idea, the thought was that the first person in the water when that happened would be healed of, of their concern, of their illness. And so the scribe thought, eh, it probably helps to kind of offer a little bit additional information there. And so that was stuck in. But in some of the later translations, so a lot of you, if you have the NIV version, for example, um, that's included as a footnote because it's not in the more reliable, older texts. So just a little background there as far as what that is and, uh, and where that fits in. So it doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong, per se, uh, but it's, it's stuck down at the bottom maybe for some of you. So you have one, two, three, four, and then back to verse 5. So, uh, if you're ready for a little outline, you're ready for an actual sermon, <laughs> let's look at the first blank, first thing in the outline, let's look at the picture of a sinner. So we encounter this guy first in verse 5, that's where we first meet him. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And so let's see, this guy, I think for us, can be a picture of sin, could be a picture of what sin does in our lives. Could be a picture of what sin causes for us. Um, and so let's look at him as a picture of sin. Number one, he was powerless. 
First thing, he was powerless. Everyone lying around the pool lacked some sort of power, the power to see or to hear or to walk, the power to heal themselves. Now, the Bible often will illustrate sin as a disease or a sickness or a deformity or something like that because an outward visible thing like that is a very clear picture of what sin does to a soul. Now, let me be clear. Physical sickness is not necessarily a result of sin. So don't look around and see somebody that has some sort of physical sickness, physical ailment, and just assume, oh, it's because of sin in their lives. Remember, we don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be all judgy-judgy about someone with a health concern. In fact, in the book of John, if you flip forward a little bit to John chapter 9, the disciples had this same kind of thing, a, a question that they had for Jesus. You remember in chapter 9, uh, the first three verses, says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, a physical ailment that he had had since birth. And his disciples asked him, they said, Hey, Master, um, who sinned? Was it, was it this man or is it this man's parents who sinned for him to be born blind? And Jesus said, well, actually, neither. Uh, that's, that's not why this occurred. Um, he was, he's blind so that, so that I can work through him uh, and I can receive glory for that. And so Jesus actually went ahead and healed him, if you'll remember, uh, and then received the glory uh, for doing so. So in that particular case, God healed the physical sin. Now, sometimes we know that God chooses not to. And sometimes it can be very frustrating as a believer when God chooses to heal one but doesn't choose to heal another. But perhaps his greater purpose comes in not healing someone. Perhaps it's so they can glorify God with the way they endure it. Maybe it's so that others can see God's grace working in their life and gain a new perspective on their own lives. Um, in this particular case, uh, we're not entirely sure if it was caused by sin or not. Um, but I think, that's, I think that's beside the point. The point is, is that sin will take us further than we want to go. It'll keep us longer than we want to stay. And sin ultimately is going to cost us far more than we plan to pay. So sin can render us completely powerless. And this man, whether it was caused by sin or not, the picture of him being totally powerless is a picture of what sin can do and does do um, in people every day. Why do you think we talk about the bondage of sin? Or talk about being a slave to sin. Those who are in bondage, those who are in slavery, completely powerless. So if we're looking at the picture of a sinner, we see number one, he was powerless. Number two, he was helpless. In biblical times, someone who was a quadriplegic was completely motionless without help. Now, in today's world, with advancements that we have in technology, um, with, uh, with wheelchairs, power chairs, uh, we have devices that can speak for people, um, we have uh, ADA-compliant spaces, we have ideas about universal design and making things so that um, people with mobility issues or concerns have more opportunities to get out and about. We have special parking or places that they can park or special vans that they can load up in and drive around. Um, so there's a lot more opportunity today, but in biblical times, someone who was a quadriplegic uh, was completely, completely powerless. So powerless that, that if you look at verse 7, 
Look how so, so, so sad this verse is. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And look at his response in verse 7. He said, sir, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. I'm trying to get in, and someone else goes down ahead of me. Completely, completely helpless. Now, it could be that somebody cares for him uh, and brings him to the pool each day and gets him set up near the pool and then comes back each night and takes him home and, and feeds him and cares for him and that sort of thing and brings him back the next day, but they can't stay with him all day long because they have to go work and support themselves, support the, their family. Um, but I think it's a great picture. How many times do we as humans feel completely helpless because of sin? We've tried to overcome our addictions. We've tried to overcome our attitudes. We've tried to overcome our behaviors. Maybe you're, maybe you're caught up in a thought pattern that just won't go away. Maybe you've tried to kick it on your own, but you just you can't, so you've just accepted it. Well, I'm just helpless. I'm a helpless case. There's nothing I can do. In Sunday school last week with the kids, we talked about even the Israelites went through sort of a helpless kind of feeling. The Israelites um, got caught in a, a, a pattern or in a cycle. If you'll remember, they, they were led out of Egypt, right, in a very bold, in a very amazing way, parting of the waters and all the plagues and everything, and they got out of Egypt. And then what did they do? Well, they started this cycle where they would worship God, yay, and then they would, oh, these idols, we'll worship idols. Then God would what? Get mad at them, right? And he'd send armies against them, and they would flee, and they would plea for mercy from God, Beg for forgiveness. He would send a judge that would that would help him out and, and act in a, a, a bit of a savior sort of sort of fashion. And then they would worship God again. Yay! But then what did they do again? Well, these idols—they're pretty cool. And then worship the idols, and then God would send an army against them. And then they would flee, and they would be scared, and they would beg for mercy. And God would send them a judge, and then they'd worship God again. And they were just caught in this cycle over and over and over. And I think sometimes sin can do that to us, where we feel totally helpless. In Second Peter, it talks about a dog returning to its vomit and a washed pig returning to the mud. And when sin has a hold on our lives, that's, that's often what it feels like. It's just helpless. We get clean, we get great, yay, and we go back, and we go back, and we go back. It can be a very discouraging, very helpless feeling. So he was powerless. He was helpless. And this picture of sin is hopeless. 38 years, this man has been coming every day. Think about where you were 38 years ago. A lot of you, that means you weren't even here yet. Some others, that means maybe you were about my age, right? 38 years. Imagine if for 38 years, you would go to a doctor's office and wait there for 38 years and never see a doctor. Once a year, a nurse would come, open the door, and say, who's next? And everybody would make a mad scramble for the door, and whoever was there first would go and see the doctor. But you've been there for 38 years. Well, that feels pretty hopeless. Maybe there are situations where you feel like you've just given up hope. Maybe it's financial. I've got more bills than I've got money. I've got no hope. Maybe it's a relationship you know, it was strained at one point, and it just got worse and worse and worse, and you think it's been so long now, there's just no going back. It is a completely hopeless relationship. Maybe it's something at work. 
Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a sickness of some sort. But I think if this passage teaches us anything at all, is that when Jesus comes on the scene, no situation is hopeless. When Jesus comes on the scene, no situation is hopeless. None of them. None of them. So whatever you're facing today, God didn't bring you here just to tease you with hope. You're not the exception. God is hope. He offers hope. The paralyzed man was powerless. He was helpless. And he was hopeless for 38 years We've seen now the picture of a sinner. So let's look at now the power of a Savior. Jesus comes on the scene, and let's, let's look at the power of the Savior. Look in verse 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he had a question for him. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there. Some of your translations say he saw him and knew. Others say he saw and learned. I think that Jesus being all-knowing, if he saw him, he learned, he knew right then, right? It was, it was an immediate thing. He knew. So Jesus sees us. He sees the inside. He sees what we're thinking and what we're feeling. If you flip back just a little bit to uh, John chapter 2, we go back to John chapter 2, and we look in verses 23. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he what? He knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So here's some people that are following Jesus. And, wow, these, these miracles, those are, those are pretty awesome. I like those miracles. I kind of like what this Jesus guy is doing. But they didn't really, really, truly want to follow Jesus. They just thought it was kind of cool to see the miracles. And Jesus knew that simply by looking at them because he can see right through them. Earlier in John, when he's talking to Peter, he said, Peter, you're, you're Simon, right? But you are going to be Cephas. Stone, rock, right? So I see you. This is who you are. You're Simon. This is who you are going to be. Isn't that kind of cool that he sees us not as we are. He sees that. He knows as we are, but he sees what we're going to be. And there's some time there as we develop and we become what he wants us to be. And I, I for one, am very, very thankful that when he sees us, he doesn't just discard us as we are. But he takes us and he shapes us and he molds us and he says, this is what you can become. Think about uh, just, just last chapter, the woman at the well. Uh, John, what's that, uh, 4, 17, 18? Let's see if we can find it real quick. Yeah. So remember, he meets the woman at the well. And so he says to her, hey, uh, why, don't, why don't you go get your husband and have him come back? And he knows what's going on, but he's just kind of setting her up. Hey, go, go get your husband. Look what she says. Verse 17, she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So, yeah, what you said is quite true. Jesus saw her. 
But he also saw and he also knew what she could become. Look in verse 39 of chapter 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. Remember, he had the whole, you know, you shall not thirst anymore and, and water and the living water and all that sort of thing. He saw who she was and what she could become. Because, see, we can make the outside look pretty good. I mean, I can put on a bow tie and I can put on my good shoes and come speak, right? So things look pretty good, well, as good as they can <laughs> from the outside, right? But maybe we need to spend that same kind of effort, same kind of time on the inside. So let's just quit pretending to be what we're not. Because Jesus sees us, he's the Savior, and he sees inside us. So we're looking at a Savior, we see what he sees, and then let's see what he searches. What he searches. Look with me uh, at the end of verse 6. Jesus saw him lying there, knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, sir, do you want to get well? Now think about that for a second. Doesn't that seem like an odd question? that you would ask somebody who's been coming to a pool for 38 years and trying to get in the water every single time it moved to get well, and yet he asked him, sir, do you want to get well? Well, it does seem like a ridiculous question, but maybe there are some people in dealing with sin, they they just don't want to get well. Physically, (laughs) when I was growing up, if I had a fever, I could lay around the house all day. I could lie on the couch My mom would consistently bring me sweet tea and a snack, and I could watch The Price is Right with Bob Barker. Now, if I weren't sick, I couldn't do those things. And so maybe, possibly, there were some times, particularly if I had a math test, that I just had a little bit of a fever, (laughs) a little cough. I just didn't want to be well at that time. Do you remember the Andy Griffith show? No, you watched the Andy Griffith show. Either you watched it when it originally came on or you watched the reruns. Everybody loves Andy Griffith, right? Do you remember Emma Watson, old lady and Emma Watson? Uh, she always had an ailment of some sort, always, always, a bit of a hypochondriac. Um, I think it was Andy that said she's been enjoying poor health for years, right? Talking about Emma Watson. Just the self-pity and the attention that that gets. Um, even things like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know, it's, what, 900 years old or something, and it, leans way over to the side. Technology exists so they could fix the foundation and make it straight, but they don't want to. It's broken, and they don't want to fix it because they they just kind of like it like it is, right? It's a tourist attraction. People will pay money and come see it, and, you know, you can sell all the souvenirs, leaning tower. They don't want to get well. So, again, let's be careful about being Pharisees. Let's be careful about being all judgy-judgy. Just because someone is sick doesn't mean they want to stay that way. And I don't mean to insinuate that at all. But I think there are some, whether it's physical sickness or whether it's spiritual sickness, they just don't want to get well. They're comfortable with themselves, and they don't want to change. You know, if you have a coworker that has everything in the world piled on their desk, clutter, clutter, clutter everywhere, right? Ew, you could clean that up. Let me, let me help you. Let me straighten that. No, no, no. Don't touch my desk. Don't touch it. I like it like this. Okay? So sometimes those things can be that way, yeah. So sometimes people are spiritually sick, and they just don't want to change. But if that's you, let me just tell you, you don't know what you're missing. You just don't know what you're missing. Do you want to be well? You have free will, and God will allow you to follow sin 
all the way to hell if that's what you want to do. So God searches us. So he sees, he searches, and the last thing about a Savior, let's see what he says. Look what he tells the man in verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Some of you, your translation says, rise. Get up, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. You notice that he says, number one, get up. Number two, he says, pick up your mat. This is over. (laughs) You're done with this. Pick up your mat and walk. It's not, hey, get up, but leave your mat there in case you want to come back and lay down later. That's not the message that he gives. It's rise, pick up your mat, take up your bed, and walk. Walk. Get out of here and leave all of this behind. Now, granted, that was all in a physical sense. God healed him very physically right there, and he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked. But again, I think that's a good picture in a spiritual sense as well. You have a soul that's withered, crippled, broken, hopeless, helpless, no way to help ourselves, no way to get out. And then Jesus comes along. And what does he say to us? He says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Those are three things that he could not do before he met Jesus. God's not going to command us to do something that we can't do without his help. And look how immediate it was. At once, he was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. And did you notice he makes it public? Look down in verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, folks, if you're hurting, if spiritually you're broken, if spiritually you're crippled, if spiritually you're an invalid, it doesn't matter if you've been that way a long, long, long time. When Jesus comes along, he searches us, he sees, do you want to be well? Then pick up your mat and walk. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And if we choose to do that, if we follow him in that way, it's a real good idea to make that public. That's what this guy did with his physical healing. He made it public. He said, hey, I've, I've been made well. And so very soon here at Calvary, I think it's actually next weekend, uh, we're going to have public baptism. So if you're at a point in your life where maybe you follow Jesus, maybe you got up and you picked up your mat and you walked and you did that years ago, but you've never publicly told others about that, I would encourage you. Uh, to visit with someone this week uh, about being baptized next week and make that public. That's a public demonstration of an inward personal decision. So I think we've got all our blanks filled in. I'm hoping so. So my wife will be happy. She'll be here the next service. So we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, if you're interested in baptism, please, uh, please see somebody about that. Uh, I will be around uh, after the service. I'll be out there, and uh, Roger's going to come here in just a minute, and we'll have communion together, and then Roger will be here after the service. And so if you want to talk to somebody or if you want to have prayer, uh, come see Roger, come see me, and we're happy to, happy to do that. Thanks. Jason, thank you so much for your message today. Help for the hopeless, hope for the helpless. Uh, it sure was a reminder to me of before I was 
before I found Christ, before I was saved, I was absolutely hopeless and I needed his help. And now I'm absolutely helpless and I need his hope. So uh, thank you so much for the message. You know, um, Pastor Dave, over the last couple of uh, months, has uh, encouraged us all as a congregation to um, pray this breakthrough prayer every day. And uh, I would like to do that corporally. This is going to be as close as the 9 o'clock service gets to 1119. Um, And I would also like, I know a lot of people walk past the information uh, desk and maybe miss these. So if you don't have one of these, the, the ushers have them right now. And if you'd raise your hand, we'll get one in your hands right now. So we'd love you to have one. I, I ended up, I'll admit, I've got three of them. I've got one of them in my car. I've got one of them in my office. And I've got one of them in my Bible. So, And so um, I think it may be on the big screen. If it's not, uh, I, I would just like to take the time to do this Ezekiel eleven nineteen. It's easy, is what Pastor has said. You can just hear him chuckle after that, can't you? It's easy. (laughs) But uh, here, here it is. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then I think the prayer may be behind us. And uh, let's say this together. Almighty God... Do what you alone can do. Unleash the power of your Holy Spirit on Calvary United Methodist Church that results in breakthroughs of repentance, faith, mercy, grace, miracles, changed lives, new eyes, new hearts, new dreams, new vision. We want fresh encounters with you, Jesus. We want the new spirit and that undivided heart Do what you alone can do. In Jesus' name, amen.